0: Well, thank you, Brad. And I've, I know I've met some of you, but not all of you, but just really want to sincerely say thank you, the, the support in so many different ways, whether it's financial support, prayer support. There's been even a, a, at least once, I know, if not twice, just been able to get on the phone with the elders of this church and talk and ask sincerely how we're doing. And it's, it's more meaningful to you guys than you could ever know. We all know what it's like in here, regardless whether you're in a ministry or not, to to feel alone, to feel like you've been asked to do something by God or even some voice in your head, whatever it is, that you can't do. And, And just to have some people you know, even if you're not physically with them, who are in it with you, who you could call, email, or text, and you know that they, you wouldn't even have to explain yourself to them. They would just get it. And we're thankful to have that type of connection and relationship with the leaders of Mercy Hill Church and re- really with all of you guys, whether you've known that or realized that or not. You may be wondering, what, what, what does Matthew's table mean? And I'm not going to preach a, a sermon this morning on uh, sort of really the vision of our church, although it will be connected, but it's just in Matthew chapter uh, 9 and Luke chapter 5, we see Jesus caused Matthew to follow him. And then they go to Matthew's house, and Matthew there invites all of these sort of white-collar criminals, blue-collar criminals, the tax collectors, the sinners, the people who have either written the church off as it was in that time, or in their minds, the people of God have written off them. And he calls them to this table where Jesus is there at the center, his disciples are with him, and then all these people who really may not know what they're getting into are there, and... And they engage in experiencing the kingdom of God together. And that really is the heartbeat of our church, which I know you guys would probably say, well, that's our heartbeat too, is that people would experience Jesus in their everyday life, in their everyday places, and that they would know him not only as true news, but as good news. And so this morning, we're going to talk from Acts chapter 5 about an issue that is very personal to me when it comes to living out this life of following Jesus and calling others to do the same. Uh, Now, for those who are at the Salma retreat, the last couple days conference, there's going to be some overlap, but like I told Brad, I'm going to step out of my my shame and embarrassment on that and just go for it because I had this prepared before that uh, was even close to coming along. But again, just thank you guys for having me here. I'm not going to reread the text because it's already been done so well, so let's just pray and we'll jump in. Father, we thank you so much that you are with us today. We thank you that uh, regardless of what else is said, we've already been able to, to hear your gospel sang and prayed, spoken, and just enjoyed by your people. Thank you, God, that you are, you are with us, that you are with Mercy Hill Church, Matthew's Table Church, and all the individuals here in Christ, and you have promised you will never leave us nor forsake us. And we just pray, God, right now you would help us to be present with you. That you would give us ears to hear as Chris prayed what is true according to your word. And that you would help us, God, to just experience more of your grace and overflow that into all the places we go and the people we engage with this week. For your glory, in Jesus' name, amen. For about nine months, we had the the privilege and also the the difficulty of having a, a young homeless man live with us. Now, before it sounds like we're like sort of these warriors for the kingdom, if you were to meet this guy, you would have thought, oh, he's just a college student. So we're we're not talking about finding someone, you know, in like some extreme situation. But if you knew his story, it was quite extreme. He'd grown up, difficult situations in his family life, kind of been abandoned as a child. When we met him, he was in the neighborhood of our MC's Common Mission, living in the woods, using a a five-gallon Home Depot bucket as his bathroom. And we were like, hey, let's build some relationship here. We have a a cellar in our house. some people call it a basement, but it looked more like a place where a serial killer would take and disembody people. But, but for our buddy, this was a step in the right direction. But he was, he was, because of his past, because of his story, and because of living in these situations where you're always kind of on high alert... We've always kind of had to protect yourself and, and maybe at best try to be a protection for other people. There was a lot of fear in his life, and it, and it led us to a, a kind of a strange situation in our neighborhood where we, we had a house a little down the street where a lot of sort of 20-somethings all just lived together, and they would just stay up all night long. There were several uh, young girls that lived there, and one night, uh, one of the young girls was sitting out in her front yard on sort of the the swing hanging from the tree and this white van pulled up behind beside their house and this man got out of the van and he began walking towards her and she was like, excuse me uh, do you know where you're at? And he didn't say anything and she's like uh, uh, sir, I'd really like for you to step off the property and he just kept walking towards her and so she just got up, ran in the house four o'clock in the morning, locked the doors and, and didn't see him. Well a couple nights later they saw the a white van pull up again. Well, this time two of the guys that lived in the house said we're going to go out here and check this out. So they go out there, they they kind of sneak up but run up to the van and begin knocking on the window and the van just peels off. Well, again, the next night they go out there way early in the morning cuz they're usually staying up all night. This was sort of their hours. There's that van. So so they're getting really nervous. Uh, there's some degree of people who would say that, you know, Chattanooga, which we're right beside is sort of like this locus for, for human trafficking that could take place in the Southeast. And so, uh, they begin to reach out to authorities, reach out to, uh, to institutions, organizations that deal with these things. And they're like, yes, this very likely could be what's going on. But my, my buddy Danny, he, he doesn't trust authorities. And so he's he's starting to ramp this thing up in his head that he's going to have to take care of this. And so he kind of ropes me in on it because I get I get excited about stuff like that too a little bit, and uh, maybe it's my lack of excitement in my story versus his. But so so we begin to go door to door in our neighborhood and say, hey, we just want to let you know this is going on. Now I've got a 12 year old daughter at the time and I'm getting nervous and we just want to protect the neighborhood. And, and Danny uh, tells, I wasn't going to say his name, but I already said it. He tells, uh, you'll never meet him probably. Who knows? Uh, he, he, he begins to tell them, if this happens again, you've got to call me. I don't care when it is, 3.30 a.m., 4.30 a.m., let me know. And I to tell him too, like, hey, if they call you, come get me. Well, thank goodness he didn't. And so if you were to see him, he's sort of in his... Uh, sometimes in this like poncho I think you'd call it not like from the rain but whatever it is Clint Eastwood wore if you know what I'm talking about so he and he's got it's not really a Clint Eastwood hat but it's like a mix between Crocodile Dundee Clint Eastwood and he goes and he buys this axe handle so it's like next level from even a baseball bat it's just an axe handle and so he he is ready and he gets the call now thank goodness he didn't wake me up, but I, I hear all this the next morning. He gets the call, he he runs out there, these guys all telling me this story. He he sees they see the van, he like hides in the bushes. When the van starts to creep up to the house, he jumps out in front of it with his axe handle, Clint Eastwood, crocodile dundee guy, and starts screaming at it. Well what the the van just freaks out, puts the gas down, and starts going at him. And he has to dive off into the side of the road. And then he gets up and he says, I was just thinking, we've got to mark this vehicle somewhere. But it's not just enough to get them out of here because they're going to go somewhere and hurt other people. And so he starts just chunking rocks at this van, making all these dents. And he goes up to the house and they're all like, yeah, thank you. I'm glad somebody cares. You know, because in their minds, you know, the police weren't, was, were not going to help them. And so they're sort of like, where are the police at when you need them? Well, guess what? About five minutes later, here come the police. And they're like thinking, okay, this is a little strange. And behind the police is the white van. Well, Danny's been around life long enough. He starts to think, something's not right here. I'm going to go hide. <laughs> and he goes and hides as the, as the police pull up with this white van with these two... Older ladies who deliver the newspaper every morning, who have been being traumatized (laughs) night after night by this house, people running outside and scaring them off, and now with this madman (laughs) attacking them. So whatever was going on that first night was just a one-time event. But it had left them with a fear that called them to respond in some very crazy and irrational ways. (laughs) And me too. And I think we're all like that. When we we live in fear, it can make us crazy. It can make us irrational. Irrational. It can make us go places from our story or we begin to create new stories, new interpretations of how we're relating with someone else, what they may be thinking about the conversation we just had with them, what actually just happened, what actually might happen. And and we, if we're honest, can literally almost go crazy if we indulge those things. You may not go out and buy an axe handle and chase a van down full of newspaper, ladies, but you might have your equivalent. Instead of empowering us, this fear that we see in our text today and are going to talk about specifically a fear of man, it leaves us drained, it leaves us beat down, it leaves us insane. And the people who have to actually live with us in our houses, it leaves us hardly bearable to even deal with. And more than having a beard and... Well, I usually have a plaid shirt on. It's rare that I don't. But anyway a beard, I, I probably look like a cliche pastor. <laughs> well, one way that I'm really cliche in a lot of ways is I'm a people pleaser. I want you to like me. When Brad says nice things about me, I, I feel the weight not of thank you, brother, but almost like, I really hope I live up to that. It's this this fear of man. It ruins even good things like an encouraging word from someone. I wonder if they really mean that. I wonder if I'll be able to keep that place in their opinion. It's draining. We not only become irrational, we become tired and weary. We begin to look to everyone around us to give us our identity, to give us our security, to give us our stability, to give us our purpose. And this is why we need the gospel. The gospel of a a freeing position that we have in Jesus that allows us to be bold, to be courageous. Not in a crazy way. Not flowing out of fear but flowing out of a firm foundation that we have in Christ. And in the book of Acts here, we get to see this glimpse of these early disciples living in that freedom. Living in a freedom where they are not under the fear of man, but under the reign of Jesus. What does this do? How does living under the reign of Jesus rather than the fear of man helps us? Well, it helps us be prepared for tough situations. We see this in our text today. Didn't read verses twelve through sixteen, but if you were to read those verses, we see many signs and wonders are being done by the apostles. They're gathering together with the people. It says in verse fourteen, more believers than ever were being added to the Lord. Multitudes of men and women. People are being healed. Demon-possessed people are being delivered. It's what we might consider a time of revival for the whole church. And yet, it was not met without opposition. What making disciples... Of Jesus looks like. What being a church. Being missional communities. Being families. Being individuals. That seek to, to display and declare the kingdom of Christ causes. Is it doesn't just cause those good things to be enjoyed. It causes an experience of persecution or opposition to arise. And we notice a couple things here. In verse 17. It says the high priest rose up and all who were with him. That is the party of the Sadducees. And they were filled with jealousy. They were filled with jealousy. It leads to this sort of relational conflict that then leads to jail. So verse 18, they attend, arrested the apostles and put them in the public prison. So it's, a, it's an opposition. It's a persecution that comes on them. But we notice the persecution and the opposition, though, is not the heart of this story, It's not the end of this story, and therefore, it's not the hope of God's people. I hope that everyone responds well to how I do ministry. I hope that everyone responds well to how I'm living my life in the name of Christ, whether you're in ministry or not. But the experience of persecution then provides the backdrop for a deeper experience of God's power. And we see this in verses 18 through 24. Verse 19, that is. But during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the prison doors and brought them out. Then the angel of the Lord tells them to go into the temple. Go do it again. Speak to them the words of this life. Notice that phrase, this life. And the gospel to them was was not go and just download some intellectual content to them, but go speak of a king, of a kingdom that we find and have our life in. A good news worth living for and dying for. And it says, and when they heard this, they entered the temple at daybreak and began to teach. They would have never experienced this display and engagement of God's power had they not also experienced this deep threat upon their lives and upon their ministry. It's not always that way. Even in the book of Acts, if we were to just flip forward a chapter or so, we would find Stephen, this faithful person of God who is no less bold, no less courageous, and no less faithful, not finding himself being delivered from harm's way by an angel, but dying as stones are beat in upon his body until there's not breath left in him. We're reminded of someone else we'll meet in the book of Acts who will come to know Jesus, the Apostle Paul. And when he prays that God would send rescue into his life, what he hears is, No, but my grace is sufficient for you. But whether the rescue and the experience of God's power comes either through an angel that actually leads you out of a prison or it comes through the experience of a God who tells you that I am with you, that my grace is sufficient. And like Stephen, you may go down in a a pile of rocks and hatred and slander... That Jesus never leaves you. Tough situations come. But they make way for an unparalleled experience of God's power. If we will lean into them by faith and not cave out of the fear of man. After one 4th uh, of July, I think it was, or some sort of holiday event where they gave away glow sticks. Uh, our, our children are laying in their beds at night. They've, they've got their glow sticks. I don't know if any of these kind of things, were, I think y'all had a festival here yesterday, were, were given away. But glow sticks are really cool when you're a kid, or the little necklaces that you can have, or the bracelets. But, but our children, particularly one of them, can kind of be afraid of the dark. And so I remember they're, they're going to bed, they want their glow sticks, or glow necklaces with them, and, and we're, we're leaving out of the room, we're thinking, oh, this is going to be the good part. Turn the lights off and you get to see the glow. Well, we turn the lights off and of course he begins to say, turn the light back on. I need more light in here. I'm afraid. And so you turn the light back on and then it's like, well, I can't see my glow stick now. Turn the light back off. <laughs> and it's like, well, what do you want it to be? You, you can't see the glow stick and leave the light on in here for you experience the power of that glow stick then it's going to only have to be experienced against the backdrop of this dark room and not being afraid of the dark or embracing your fear of the dark provides the pathway for you then to experience the power of the light and i am so much like my son I want to experience God in all of His glory, in His miraculous intervention in my life, or the depths of His grace in the thorns that He allows there, but I want Him to do it as in such a way that I don't have to experience anything negative. I want the power of His glory, but I don't want to have to engage the path of trial. I don't want to be needy. This is becoming more and more clear to me in my life. As I've always generally thought of myself and had other people maybe tell me that I was a humble person, but the more that I live, the more I see is I'm a very proud person. I can do humility as long as I get to decide what the categories are, I get to be humble in. I don't want to be a needy husband. I want to be a good husband who has that figured out and then can help other people be good husbands. I don't want to be the one who's crying out to God for my own soul as a husband in my marriage. I want to be a good parent. I don't want to be a needy parent. I want to be the one who read the right books, did the right things, kept the right balance, and help other people be good parents. And God, I'm willing to be needy in a lot of areas as long as I get to pick those areas in which I'm needy. I want to follow Him in a way where I get to just pick the areas where I need to have a whole lot of faith. I want him to lead the light on. As a church will often say, we want to be a people who reach the broken, the burnout, and the bored. Broken people who, who think, wow, I'm just fundamentally too messed up. Burnout people who are like, I've, I've tried harder to keep the rules and do the activities of the church, and I just can't keep up anymore. And bored people who are just sort of thinking, well... I guess there's just really nothing to life. That you know, Disney World dream I had as a kid failed. And so now what? I'm learning more and more every day is I need to be reached as all those people. And it's these tough situations that provide the path for that unparalleled experience of God's glory. If I'll just humble myself and not be afraid of what you think of me, what my wife thinks of me, of what my kids think of me, of what my co-workers think of me. And step into that darkness knowing God is with me. But it not only prepares us for those tough situations, but also we see here some tough conversations. Really, verses 25 through 32 lay out now this, this interaction between the apostles, these disciples, and the authorities. We see in verses 25 through 28 that, that because they're, they're so captured by the supremacy of Christ and the sovereignty of God that although they were just imprisoned, now they just boldly walk out and, and keep going. They just remain faithful even though they, they, must, they must be afraid in their own human flesh, but they are bold in the Spirit. And so we see in these verses that they continue to speak That they continue to teach of this life. Verse 26, it says, Then when the captain with the officers went and brought them, but not by force, for they were afraid of being stoned by the people. We have such such a contrast here between people who are playing the religious game versus people who have truly been captured by the gospel of Christ. The religious authorities are afraid of people they're not willing to be stoned for what they believe. Because this this man-centered, self-centered way of religion, it lives off fear. It lives off intimidation. But it comes not from a place of strength, but from a place of weakness. A place of pride and self-protection. But as they persist in their faithfulness, notice what doors are open. So if the tough situations provide the pathway for unparalleled experiences of God's power and grace, these tough conversations lead to an unrivaled opportunity to proclaim the gospel. So they tell them to be quiet. They tell them to stop filling this city of Jerusalem with their teaching of Jesus. And trying to, to put guilt on them that they need to confess and own up. And in verse 29, we have such a, it's a powerful verse of freedom from those who have been captured by the reign of Christ. It says, but Peter and the apostles answered, we must obey God rather than men. Now again, the religious leaders do not believe this, even though they said they would on paper. They will not stand by their convictions if it leads to their pain. But the disciples are saying here now, with all due respect, your opinion and your power does not rule us. They get to declare the freeing glory of the sovereignty of God. But also notice verses 30 and 31, they get to To declare the glory and beauty of Jesus' supremacy as Savior. They say the God of our fathers raised Jesus. Whom you killed by hanging on a tree. And God exalted Him at His right hand as leader and Savior. To give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. What they're doing here is they declare Jesus as leader and savior. That word leader, some of your translations will have it as prince. It's speaking to the fact that that Jesus is the true king. And in much Greek literature, that's the same word that would have been used of even sort of mythical heroic figures. What it's saying here is that Jesus has been shown to be by the father, the God king, the hero of heroes, the Lord of lords, the Savior who is supreme. And they just boldly declare this. Because their faithfulness to live not under the fear of man has demanded this gospel explanation of how can you live that free? How can you keep being faithful? We're over here living in our self-protective scheme so we don't get hurt managing public opinion. How, how are you able just to say, we don't care that you who have all this power who could kill us, who may very well throw us out of town, separate us from our families. How can you be so bold? It's because Jesus is the hero of their story and not themselves. And they're also able to declare the person and power of the Holy Spirit. Verse 32, And we are witnesses to these things and so is the Holy Spirit. Whom God has given to those who obey Him. What they're saying is not only are we not the hero of this story, it's not even about our willpower, it's not even about some sort of personality that we have, it's about the person of God and the power of God and the Holy Spirit who lives within us. They are captured by something way, way bigger. And much better than the power of other people. I remember watching my dad, not actually watching him, but watching the helicopter take off when he had a heart attack. And watching it fly away, wondering, will I ever see my dad again? From my earliest age, I cannot think of my dad without a pack of Winston cigarettes. I just can't. But if you were to meet my dad now, that is not how you would think of him. Because you're not going to see him smoking. Now, that doesn't work for everybody, but at least for him, years of guilting him, trying harder, somehow my grandma living in denial that he didn't smoke. (laughs) All the time. It didn't do it, but that... That little helicopter life force ride to Chattanooga did. And were any of his old friends, and even the current friends, to see him after that day, especially at work, especially outside, especially after a meal, the question would certainly arise, why aren't you smoking? Well, my dad doesn't smoke anymore because his life was invaded by a reality that far outweighed the other desires and voices in his life It made his everyday life then demand an explanation. And the question before us is, has the ultimate reality of God as, as sovereign, not, not thinking of some debate over how He controls things, but that He is ultimate. That He is King. And that Jesus is supreme. Has that captured you? Has it changed how you relate with your co-workers? Has it changed how you relate with your spouse? With your children? Has it changed how you relate with your parents? With your roommates? Because the Gospel tells us, shows us from this text, and all through the life of Jesus, is that if you You've just got to realize that you, some people are going to like you, some people are not. People who love you some days are going to be disappointed in you. They're not going to agree with you. And for some of us in here like me, I think we still kind of have this thing that I'm going to learn how to nail this where I can have this perfect nuance of being considerate and careful and saying things is in such a way that at the end of my, all of my conversations, people just want to give me a hug and say, wow, I've never met someone like you. And that is called a Messiah complex. <laughs> That's called a version of your life where, you're, where Jesus is your helper so that you can be the hero. And it enslaves us enslaves us. We had a couple in our church at one point who were in a situation that was, 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 was not according to God's design, I guess you would say, without giving a lot of details. And I just remember I studied on it, having conversations, trying to be so kind. And then as we were seeking to multiply missional communities, this lady walked up to me. They had just kind of stopped talking to me, and I said, hey, is everything Okay. You know, I just want to make sure. And they're like, oh, yeah, everything's fine. And so they were going to multiply out with the next missional community. And as they walked out of that last family meal and the last time that, that I'd see them, she handed me this, this little stuffed animal. It was really weird. And I, I didn't know what it was. And it was a, it was a sheep. And, and as they left that night, I, I was looking at it. And it was one of those foldable animals And you know what it was when you folded it out? It was a wolf. And then they never showed up again. I was the wolf in sheep's clothing. That kind of (laughs) stings. And it made me mad. I wanted to defend myself. I wanted to, to make sure everybody else knew how, how hard I tried to do that right. <laughs> and what God's been trying to teach me, and I think the apostles here were captured by, is that when I'm having conversations with people, is I, I've got to remember like, God is there too other people get so big in situations again whether it's my children my wife my co- my coworkers i also work for a nonprofit and it's so hard to do something and y'all are going to think i'm pretty infantile cuz i am to just be really fully honest i'm very good in the name of nuance and caring for people figuring out a way to tell a version of the truth that they'll like The danger is is my own self can be lost. I don't trust God to protect me. I don't trust that somebody could really disagree with me and then we could still be in good relationship after that anyway. And I don't trust that even if everything fell apart and I maybe was wrong, because <laughs> I am sometimes, that the redemptive work of Christ would bless me with as much grace that I so often tell others they need. And that's the only way that we can live into this. It's the fact that Jesus Jesus did live this way is much better than these apostles did than we ever could. I mean, he was the, the light of the world who came into the darkness. He was willing to step into this darkness, to have the lights flipped off, to step into that dark space so that we could see the glory of God like never before. And how many of us in here in our most darkest times as God's people, we look back and we see Jesus in that wilderness being tempted by Satan in the middle of that darkness and we see Him being faithful and we think, I can hold on because He was faithful for me. We see Him in the Garden of Gethsemane in that dark spot And we think, there's Jesus. He's praying for me. I'm those disciples over there sleeping, but look how he keeps praying for me. And ultimately, we see him on the cross. Crying out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? As he hangs there, defying the Roman government, defying the leadership of the religious authorities. Because we're a bunch of people-pleasing, self-worshipping, other-worshipping people. And yet He isn't annoyed by that. He doesn't forsake us because of that. He comes to us in that. Some of you may feel a lot of guilt, a lot of shame, a lot of fear even talking about something like this. And the good news is Jesus has already been there. He's already paid for whatever suffering there is in that. And through His resurrection, there's enough healing for whatever wounding there is in that. And He brings you a truth to set you free from all the lies that are behind it. I just want us to imagine imagine just for a second what the freedom could look like in your life if you were willing to believe that He was enough for you to protect you, to provide for you, to hold you, to help you when you enter these difficult situations and tough conversations. Some of you need to have a hard conversation with somebody. Maybe a parent, maybe a friend, maybe a child, a coworker, Maybe just for yourself. Maybe there's something in your life and your story and you're just thinking, I don't think I can go there. You're afraid. You may not even be afraid of others' people's opinion. You may be afraid, how can I even think I, I won't even be able to look at myself in the mirror if I do that? What the gospel comes to tell us from this text is that you're going to see Jesus there with you. And Danny and I looked kind of dumb that night, but we didn't care because we thought something much bigger was at stake. And you may be thinking, if I, if I begin to take these steps into freedom from the fear of man, I'm probably going to look stupid. I'll look stupid going there in my past. I'll look stupid bringing that up with that person. Well, I don't know how you define look stupid, but maybe. But maybe that's what God's going to use to take you off of your enslaved connection to what others think of you and lead you to experience A courage that comes only through the reign of Christ. Father, we thank you that you were with us as much as you were with these early disciples. And we pray now that you would help us, God, to see, to taste and see, even in the bread and the cup today, how far and how wide and how deep is the love of Christ for us. how victorious He was over sin, how powerful He was in resurrection. May we truly believe that that same forgiveness and that same fullness of the Spirit is ours today, as was His and theirs then. And we thank You for this in Jesus' name, amen.